0: At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward. Even if they're just baby steps, we guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce.
1: Creating a domestic domestic asset protection trust before you get married, you're creating the trust, you're making the decisions, and you get all the best provisions you want a prenuptial agreement like a settlement agreement during during a matrimonial proceeding you have to compromise both sides are are have attorneys and it is in is a, an agreement between the parties and so the domestic asset protection trust it's almost like you get your wish list without having to talk to anybody else about it because the other person's not in the picture yet. You've created that trust prior to that marriage. And so I think that that's a a good difference to think about when you're trying, you know, we want people to plan early for a whole host of reasons. And this is just one more reason you should be planning early.
0: Welcome to the High Net Worth Divorce Playbook, where we introduce you to the experts who can inform, guide, and support you through the unique complexities of your divorce. Throughout this series, you will hear from the best of the best on topics including the art of negotiating, how to divide and distribute complex assets, and what you need to know about splitting pensions, what your attorney doesn't know, and how that can hurt you, how to find hidden assets, and the key to protecting you and your family's financial future. I can't believe we're already at the last episode of the High Net Worth Divorce Playbook series, and we're wrapping it up today with protecting you and your family's future. Today's experts explain the critical role of trust and estate attorneys as part of your all-star divorce team. And while most people assume that a trust and estate attorney is only needed at the end or after the divorce, Nancy and Britt highlight the financial advantage of enlisting them from the beginning. We discuss the trust and estate attorney's role in assisting your matrimonial attorney as they determine what assets can be considered in equitable distribution in the complex world of family trusts. We cover everything from beneficiaries of third-party trusts and your parents' estate planning documents, as well as wills, healthcare proxies, power of attorneys, deeds, estate taxes, legacy planning, and so much more. This is another jam-packed episode with tons of recommendations that will save you money. So grab your pen and let's get started. I'm joined today by a mother-daughter dynamic duo team, Nancy Burner is the founder of Berna Law Group PC, established in 1995. And Britt is also an attorney at Mom's Firm and handles all matters of elder law, estate planning, trust in estate administration, and special needs planning. Nancy holds the designation of a Certified Elder Law Attorney, CELA, awarded by the National Elder Law foundation as accredited by the American Bar Association. For 13 consecutive years, Nancy has been named as a super lawyer in the field of elder law. Her accolades go on and on, so I'll let you read the rest of them in the show notes. I am so tickled to have the two of you with me today. Welcome, Nancy and Britt.
2: Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having
1: us today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here.
2: So we
0: are wrapping up our series on high net worth divorce playbook with uh, with this topic on trust and estates. And so I thought a great place to begin would be to just talk to our listeners about what exactly does a trust and estate attorney cover and what don't you cover?
1: Great. So yeah, we as trust and estates attorneys, traditionally, everyone thinks about that as being the attorney who does your will. What happens after you die? The reading of the will? Where where are the assets going to go? We like to think of it a little more holistically than that. So trust and estates attorneys are looking at protecting your assets while you're alive, helping you um, grow those assets by being tax efficient, and then also dividing them upon your death. We also help people deal with issues that may come up with incapacity down the line and how their assets are going to be handled if that should happen.
0: So what's interesting about that early on in our series, we talked to a financial planner and she talked about covering some of the same things like helping your, how to make your money grow and the tax implications. Can you just share with our listeners what the interplay is between uh, what you do and what financial planners or analysts do? Well, typically, uh,
2: we we work with financial advisors. We create the structures. They deal with the actual assets that go into the whether it's a trust or um, or a will, and so a lot of those issues overlap because there are different tax consequences if an asset's held in a trust or if it's held in your own name. And so together we can be tax efficient. And it really is a collaboration. And we actually heard some of your prior uh, webcasts on this subject, and I would agree uh, collaboration is key, really getting the right people on the bus and having your advisors work together because we all bring something else to the table. And in terms of high net worth individuals, especially because they tend to have more complex structures... Their trusts are more complex. They last for multiple generations. They hold assets in entities like LLCs or S-Corps or family-limited partnerships. And that's our language. That's the language we speak. And oftentimes, it's a matter of valuing those assets. And that's something we always do in the trust and estate uh, area even outside of divorce. So that's
0: beautiful. And I think if you've been listening to this whole series, I, I, I want to point out that I have now spoken to a number of different attorneys, right? I spoke to a matrimonial attorney. You listened to me uh, interview uh, a quadro expert who was an attorney. And now we're talking to a trust and estates attorney. And so it is so vitally important that you build the right team and that you bring each team member on at the right time. And so could you speak a little bit, uh, Britt and Nancy, about when, if someone's going through a divorce, when is the best time in the process to bring in someone like you?
1: Okay. so. I think at the beginning is always a good idea Um, and beginning is different for everyone. So I'll talk about what I mean by beginning. Um, Usually people start to speak with an attorney for their matrimonial attorney when they decide or when they're trying to decide if they should or should not file for divorce. And My understanding is that part of that decision for a lot of people is monetary and is trying to determine what the outcomes are or what the outcomes may be based on how the assets could be distributed. And so when you have these complicated assets and complicated estate planning documents and we're going to talk about trusts that you may have created during your lifetime or trusts that have been created for your benefit by other family members or other people in your life, you want the estate planning attorney to be working with the matrimonial attorney to understand what the implications of divorce would be on these different types of structures. And so having us involved from the beginning to be on that team is really going to bolster and help the matrimonial attorney to give the best advice as to how to proceed with the proceedings of of the of the divorce.
2: Uh, Britt, it's interesting you you say that because you really are talking about a, a holistic process because people typically don't just say I'm getting a divorce and worry about the finances later. Right. Most people, part of the process is, can I do this alone? How am I going to do it? And if you're talking about documents that uh, were created when you were married, chances are you, you used the same attorney. So you can't use that attorney anymore because it would be a breach for that attorney to speak to one and not the other about those documents, especially a spouse planning on divorce. So you really need an an attorney who knows the language of trust and estates and can help your matrimonial attorney figure out what sources are there for property settlement and income. And so those complex uh, trusts and uh, entities are going to be of great input to the matrimonial attorney.
0: Yeah, and you know, as as I speak to, as I listen to you, and and with each expert that I spoke to, it's it's real. I always say that divorce is kind of like being dropped into a foreign country with a language that you don't understand. When it comes to this high net worth, it's like dropped into a country with really rugged terrain. And, <laughs> and, and I can imagine as, as my listeners go through one episode after another, it's, it can be so overwhelming. It's like, well, I need to understand retirements. So I need to understand finding, hitting assets. And, and now there's this whole piece. And, and, and for those of you listening, the truth is you don't need to know all of this. What you do need to know is that each of these experts bring something different to the table. And it is so important that you, uh that you, pull together an A team that you have the superstar team that can support you in all these different areas that you can call on when you need them and, uh, and know that they have your back, that they know what you don't know. And so, so let's dive into what, um, what does that cover? And so that, that comprehensive look at somebody's, uh, state or, or their situation. Where do we begin?
2: Well, in terms of assets and uh, income, this, there are simple assets, right? Uh, so bank accounts, brokerage accounts that are held by the individuals, that you can report right off your statements. The real hard to value assets are assets that are held, for instance, in a trust and may, as I said before, first be held by an LLC, for instance, and the LLC sh- uh, shares are now held by a trust. How do you value that, right? Because it's not just a number on a, um, a bank statement. And then on top of it, the the spouse beneficiary. So I'm talking, let me be clear. I'm talking about third-party trust first. So that is a trust that is created by someone other than the married couple. Okay. That's how I'm using it. So usually it's a family trust that a parent has created for their children or a child. And so it was not originally a marital asset, but there's some interest in there and that belongs to the spousal beneficiary. So the question is, how do you
0: value that? So I'm going to just slow you down. So I hear you saying that... Uh, it- Uh, An individual who comes into the marriage who has a trust set up by their parents, when they go to get divorced, there is actually a portion of that trust that the spouse has a right to?
2: If it's done correctly, it should be ironclad that the spouse doesn't have an interest in it whatsoever. And it may even be that the spouse beneficiary right thinks it's ironclad. So your matrimonial and estate planning attorney is to see if there are any vulnerabilities there that make that asset available, either in terms of uh, distribution of property for equitable distribution, although that is less likely when it's a third-party trust, um, but also in terms of income that's received and how that trust is used may make it vulnerable to attack in a matrimonial action.
0: Okay, so so that you just that vulnerability um, statement, I think, made it so clear for me, and I hope and I'm hoping for my listeners as well. So, if you're if you have that third party trust, one of the things that a team like Britt and Nancy are going to do is really help you see whether or not there's any vulnerabilities and whether or not it's ironclad. Um, do you want
2: to add anything to that before we move on to the? Sure. So, for instance, there may be and there are different names. It might be called an inheritors trust, a descendant's trust. It could have any number of names, but it's basically a trust created uh, by a parent for their children This child is now going through divorce, right? So one of the things I want to know as the estate attorney is what was the intent of the grantor, the parent who created it. Now, if they've done a really good job, it's going to be really clear that it's not to be used in any marital settlement. Right. And and I've seen it in many different ways. and It doesn't matter what law firm has done it. I've I've found um, trusts that just are not as strong as others. So you want to see because if nothing else, it's an argument to be made. Okay. And that gets everybody a little excited if they think that an asset that was supposed to be protected is not protected. Um, And then the other thing is, who else is a beneficiary? So, for instance, if the, the parents create a trust for their five children, that is going to be harder to attack than one that was created for that one child who is now going through a divorce. Because then they would be the sole beneficiary. The other thing is in terms of making distributions. Do they have to be equal so that each of the five children get a share or can they be unequal? Because it happens often that the trustee having discretion might stop making distributions to the child who's going through the divorce, right? But they give it to the other four children if they're all beneficiaries of the same trust. And so that would have to be analyzed. Also, to the extent the trust says that the trustee will or shall pay income, that's a right that the spouse beneficiary would be expected to take, right? Whereas if the trustee has full and absolute discretion to pay it whenever they want, then it's less likely, right?
0: So there's a lot of fine details in each of
2: these. Exactly. Right. And and then it goes on to who's the trustee. Is the trustee an institutional trustee, like a trust company? Or is it the spouse beneficiary's best friend, right? right? Or is the spouse beneficiary themselves allowed to, to take distributions? And then have they taken distributions? So all of those facts, because besides the documents, it's what happened along the way. Did you take money to pay for orthodontia, for camp, for the second home, for the vacations during the marriage? And if you did, you're more vulnerable. It's more vulnerable. And I've even seen cases where while the court cannot invade that trust, they can say, we'll count that as that spouse's asset and we're going to give this other spouse other assets that the court does have control over, that are marital assets, to make up for it.
0: Okay. Hurt, did you want to jump in?
1: Yeah, one thing I want to add or or really just highlight in what Nancy just said is that the terms of the document, and, and when she was referring to if the trust is done well, then it could be ironclad. And with estate planning attorneys, everything goes back to how that document is written. And sometimes that document was written, and this could be the fourth generation beneficiary. This could have been written a very long time ago by an attorney that's no longer with us. So it's very important that you're interpreting these documents exactly by their terms. And so when you go to an attorney and you ask them questions about can a trustee do x y or z can i have a distribution for a certain item the right answer from the attorney is first answer should be i don't know let me look back at the document and so it's really interpreting what you know we were talking about it being a, a you know a foreign language sometimes that we're dealing with here it's really interpreting What that document says in the best light of that beneficiary and then adding to that what Nancy was referring to about the actions along the way and how that trust was treated and was the integrity of that trust held up by the actions of the various beneficiaries and trustees. And that all goes into making a determination as to how that trust can be treated.
0: Right. Wow. So just the complexity of it is so crystal clear right from the beginning and how the specific expertise that you guys bring to the table um,
2: is so vital. Nancy, before we move on? Yes. The other thing besides the document and the facts are the state or the jurisdiction where the the trust is, uh, the site is of the trust, because it's not just the document itself. There's a lot of uh, laws that regulate trust and each in, in the United States, each state has jurisdiction over that. So you would be looking at common law cases and statutes and how in in uh, really interpreting that trust. So it's important that you have a trusted state attorney in that jurisdiction. So just on that question, and I,
0: I, I think I'm noticing we could probably go down a lot of rabbit holes and I'm gonna try not to do that. But if your uh, trust is um, written in Texas and you're getting divorced in New York, where do you hire your trust in the state's attorney?
2: Okay, so with regard to that trust, because there could be multiple trusts from different jurisdictions, right? Because the couple could have created one in New York, but this is a Texas trust that the parents created for the beneficiary spouse. The courts would look to Texas in this case, the size of the trust, to give an interpretation of the law. In fact, there are cases like that. I was just reading a few for this uh, that were a Connecticut divorce, but the trust was, was uh, the jurisdiction was in Massachusetts. So before they could go forward with the divorce in Connecticut, they got a determination on the trust in Massachusetts. So
0: I guess I'm gonna ask the question again. I, I hear that. So would you, if you were the New York State Trust and Estates attorney, would you reach out to a colleague in Texas to get what you needed and they should be hiring a New York Trust and Estates attorney? Or like I, I wanna be really clear for our listeners, if someone has multiple trusts in different states, like how or or even one other one in a different state. How do you recommend
2: they proceed? Okay, so I would say a trusted and a state attorney in the jurisdiction where the matrimonial is happening. And that attorney can can reach out to attorneys in other states because they speak the same language. So So you don't have to pull hu- up a Texas, right? And say, Hey, what do you guys do in this state? This is the clause. Do you have a rule against perpetuities? Do you have, you know, whatever it might be? I don't want to throw in more terms than you need, but... (laughs) Yes. So you would start with the trust and estate attorney in your jurisdiction. Maybe they'll have the answers to all those questions.
0: Okay. So so you do wanna you wanna hire where you're getting divorced. And um, my experience too is that attorneys have such networks going across the country and in their fields that should that be your situation, hire local and then let them help you find out what those laws are. So. There's probably a lot of different subcategories we can talk about. My job is to help it stay clear for the listener. So the first thing we talked about was third party trusts. So what are some, and we may not get to all of them. So let's make sure we touch on the key ones. What's another area that, uh, that you would like to speak to our listeners about?
2: So the other area would be first-party trust, what I call first-party trust for this discussion, which I'm referring to trusts that were created during the marriage, and they were probably used uh, marital assets to fund the trust. So, for instance, a life insurance trust or an offshore trust that's done for creditor protection, right, or a... um, uh, a spousal limited access trust. These are estate planning tools used, and usually for the purpose of protecting from creditors the assets, and also uh, to save estate taxes. And so what happens is many times, if it's for estate tax purposes, it's an irrevocable trust, right? And that doesn't mean it can't be revoked. There are different ways that you can, but you need a trust in the state attorney to tell you, again, what can be done. Because what if, like right now, I have a lot of couples with the prospect of the estate tax exemption going down to maybe $5 million, and it's currently at $11.7 million. They are funding spousal limited access trust and putting $11 million in a trust. Well. Wow. What if you later get a divorce what's the impact what provisions on are in there for instance is there a provision that my spouse is a beneficiary but if she's no longer my spouse or or he's no longer my spouse then it's no longer an available asset to the spouse right are they disinherited by the divorce and so you have to take a look at that and say and by the way, I say he or she. This is the same rules go uh, for heterosexual or same sex marriages. They're it's the same, same
0: across the board. The two partners, mm-hmm. and so. And can you just can you just tell our listeners what's the difference between revocable and irrevocable?
2: A revocable trust is a trust that would be done uh, to avoid probate. It's typically not a tax saving uh, trust and it uses the individual social security number, and it's totally available to creditors, including spouses and marital set- settlements, et cetera. When you do, for instance, there have been cases where a couple sets up a life insurance trust that buys life insurance that will pay the estate taxes when they die. It's an irrevocable trust, it has to be. And in a case where one spouse creates it and there are other trustees, not the spouse, and it's meant to go to the children to pay estate taxes, the matrimonial courts have held that that trust is, cannot be used because neither of the spouses were beneficiaries or controlled the trust, right? Okay. Um, as opposed to other trusts where maybe a spouse is a beneficiary and is also uh, the trustee. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'll just add also in terms of, you know, the straight definition, revocable versus irrevocable. There are so many types of irrevocable trusts, and you can just basically think of it as it has some terms in it that create a barrier for the creator of the trust to to get at trust assets. And it might be that it's irrevocable and they can't revoke it as to principal, the assets in the trust, it could be something related to the income. It could be that they can't revoke it on their own, but an independent trustee might be able to revoke it. So irrevocable trust is an enormous category that really just differentiates from a revocable trust, which you have full access, full control, no protection, but it avoids probate, which could be expensive and time consuming and might have to happen in multiple states. And, and so that's a different purpose, that trust.
0: Okay, so now we've covered, um, thank you for that. We've covered third party trust, we've covered what you're referring to for our purposes, first party trusts. What are some of the other uh, elements that you examine and, and you know, talk through with your clients?
1: Yeah, I'd say some of the most simple um, documents, or what they seem to be simple but really have an impact, um, are things like healthcare decisions or power of attorney for medical decisions while you're alive. You know, I was speaking about how our job isn't just to deal with what happens with the assets when someone dies, but what happens when they're living. Um, and there are certain assets that can't be changed in the pendency of the divorce. And I know you've talked about this on your prior podcasts. but life insurance beneficiaries, brokerage account beneficiaries, those can't be changed during the pendency of the proceeding. But some things can be. Um, you know, an obvious one to me, but I think often gets forgotten, is a health care proxy. So you may have signed a health care proxy saying that your spouse can make medical decisions for you. Now you're in the middle of this contentious divorce a contentious divorce, and something happens and now you've got this spouse that you're in a fight with making potentially life and death medical decisions for you. I mean, I think that speaks for itself why that simple document's quite important. Um, so you should be revoking your old one and signing a new one. And there's nothing in the law that says that you can't do that while this process is going on. Um, Same for a power of attorney, you know, a, a comprehensive power of attorney that we would typically do for spouses who are in a happy marriage at the time that they're doing these documents gives full access to assets and information to the other spouse. Now, if you're getting divorced from your spouse and you're trying to, I'll say, manage what information gets to them about what your assets are and you're doing that through your attorney's you don't want this person to have a ticket with this power of attorney to access all those assets on their own. And so changing your power of attorney and revoking the old one and giving proper notice to the spouse, as well as to any institutions that you might've given that document to is going to be important, uh, you know, tactically speaking, in terms of keeping the control of your assets and the information about your assets and, 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 keeping that to yourself and how you disseminate that being between you and your legal counsel in determining how to do that. Um, And I think those are incredibly important. Um, And then also designations uh, in your will um, in terms of, you know, upon divorce, your spouse is taken out of the will. So if you have a will that says my spouse is my executor, my spouse is my beneficiary, and a divorce is finalized, it's treated without redoing the documents, it's treated as if that spouse predeceased you. So they're wiped out of it. But again, what about during the pendency of the proceeding? And also, who are the successors? So your spouse may have been named executor, but I have a lot of people who sit with me, young couples, again, in the happy times of their marriage, they've got young kids. And they say, well, you know what? If something happens to both of us, your brother can be the trustee for the kids. Your brother can be the executor of my will. Your brother can be the guardian. Now, all of a sudden, the successors in your documents are your ex's family or um you know, maybe a, a close friend who chose your spouse in the divorce and didn't choose you. And now these are the people that you're empowering to make decisions at uh, what would be a terrible, vulnerable time, which would mean that you passed away in the process of all of this and, you know, leaving children, leaving these assets behind. So those documents are going to be really important to make sure that you're changing them again right from the beginning um, to make sure that you're not putting in place people you would no longer want to be in place.
0: That is so powerful. I mean, each and every one of those is so important, and 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 your your comment, Britt, just spoke so loud and clear as to one of the reasons, at least, why bringing a trust and estates attorney in right from the beginning is so important. Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to DivorceRecoveryLifeline.com and grab your divorce survival kit today. Nancy, did you want to
2: add to that? No, I, I was just thinking of a case where I had a really contentious, uh, I represent one of the spouses and the what we call the outlaw's, yeah. <laughs> His family was was very, very um, aggressive against her, and she did not change her documents. And she kept saying, well, not yet. I have to wait. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a very st- – I don't have to tell you. Everybody who's listening to this knows it's a very stressful time, and part of us want to put it off and say, I'm already doing too much. I can't think about this now. And what happened in her case, She she did die. The divorce was final, but all those people were now in charge of the assets that she left for her children, right because it was as if her husband predeceased her, but it was the money were her children, but they had it
0: yeah, and I, I think that your point is such a good one there's so much going on it it 's so understandable that you would say, "Not now, it 's too much." That's never going to happen. We can wait. And and when you have a team, um, as you can hear from that last story, uh, that's not something that you want to put off. And as understandable as it is, I'm sure if you reach out to your trust in the state attorney, they will hold your hand and walk you through, which would be so much better than um, putting it off for tomorrow. Yeah, great point. Karen, one
1: thing I'll add is that if you, I'm assuming in my examples here that that it's an unfriendly divorce, Um, and you know part of that's because we're we're explaining kind of the worst things that could happen. But there could also be a situation where it's a very friendly divorce, and if something did happen to one spouse upon their death, they would want the other spouse, the the ex to be the trustee for the children or, or the executor of the will. And I, I come across a lot of people doing their estate planning that still have that close relationship with an ex-spouse. So again, if you have that will that the law is going to automatically remove them, you might want to be very clear in your documents even and, and put in that document specifically, even if we are divorced, this person is still in that position you want to make sure your wishes are known because that may that may very well be the case that, that or perhaps you you don't want to leave everything to your ex-spouse but maybe you still want to leave an asset behind to them you want to be very clear in those documents you know does this apply if we're if we're divorced anyway because the default is to remove that ex-spouse
0: yeah and just to have all of those questions asked and and to have this organized way of going through all of these complexities is going to bring a level of comfort and what we tell our clients is you know our desire is to see you be calm clear and confident through your divorce and the more information you have um, the more confident you are, the right support team keeps you calm. And, and then you can really be, you can be very clear and effective going through it. So, um, so, so that's great. Where, I know you said, uh, you said something about there, are the, the areas where you can't change beneficiaries. Um you said life insurance was one. can you just can we just run through that list again because you were so clear on the other one?
2: Britt, I think it's first it would depend on jurisdiction and the state right That's true in New York State. I don't know about the other states, but for instance, what can't be changed?
0: Oh, so yes, yeah. so if you're listening where you know where Nancy and Britt are New York state attorneys, and so whenever we invite an attorney on uh, numerous times throughout the episode, I like to say, uh, check with your local attorney. The laws do vary. So you don't want to hear something on Journey Beyond Divorce and just run with it. You want to talk to your local attorneys, make sure um, you understand the the state or uh, local laws that would apply to you. Thank you, absolutely. Thank you, Nancy.
1: This is our disclaimer moment. None of this <laughs> is meant to be legal advice, and please speak with your own attorney about your specific circumstances. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. So, so in New York, and, and you know, every jurisdiction has their own nuanced version of this, probably. But life insurance beneficiaries, uh, retirement account beneficiaries, so traditional IRA, four hundred and three b, four hundred and fifty seven plan. These tax deferred retirement accounts, uh, you can't change those beneficiaries in the pendency of a divorce. I'll tell you that I know Massachusetts, um, and I know there are some other states, but Massachusetts specifically, I know you actually can't change the beneficiary of your retirement accounts while you are married without your divorce, uh, without your spouse signing off on it. Um, They have that right even in in a marriage. So every state does have a, its own difference. But certainly while the divorce is pending, you can't make that change. Um, a brokerage account. So, uh, again, a, a transfer on death or payable on death beneficiary designation on a brokerage account. Um, And the interesting thing about that to me is the law says you can't change it. But we have seen cases, um, and we had a specific case where a gentleman died. He had been divorced for quite some time. I want to say maybe about 15 years. And he never got around to changing those beneficiary designations on his um, life insurance. So his ex-wife was named on his life insurance. He did have time to get remarried. And when he died, his new wife would have thought she was the beneficiary designated on his account, on his life insurance. He was not. She was not. And the check, because when the company gets a a death certificate, they send information out to the beneficiary on record. The beneficiary fills out the forms and the check was sent to the ex-spouse. Now, in the end, you can legally get that check back and get the money back. It could be recovered by the and say this should not have been paid out to the prior spouse because that designation was no longer valid because they were legally divorced in the state of New York. But that takes time. It takes money. It takes a legal proceeding often, often, and life insurance, as we all know, is used for all sorts of things. You know, Nancy referred to life insurance trusts. Some people don't put the life insurance in a trust, but the idea is they think that that life insurance might be available as liquidity after death to pay the upkeep on a piece of property or to pay estate taxes, which are due nine months from date of death, um, and you need that liquidity. And so it can really cause a problem if you don't change those beneficiary designations after after divorce, even though there is this default sometimes.
2: I, I just wanted to say something with regard to that also uh, about the trust and state attorney, because if you're in the, the middle of a divorce and you are suffering from decision fatigue and you just don't want to think of anything else, uh, the t and attorney can be there to prod you when the divorce is over that now's the time to do it yeah right so that that 15 years it doesn't fall through the cracks because the matrimonial is over and you just didn't have the heart to go back and see the t&e attorney and you think well he can't inherit by default um so that's another good reason to have that attorney on board to say i need to know as soon as this divorce is final you have to come back in for an appointment beautiful
0: that that's that's great so so let's talk we have a couple of more areas that we want to talk about here, and I know time is flying. this is such excellent um, content uh protecting yourself like the documents needed to be put in place or revised. is there anything in there that we need to cover? Um, I know there's one or two things that we haven't covered yet
2: well, one going forward, you might think to take a lesson from this divorce. And so this would be a good time to talk about domestic asset protection trusts. And those are trusts that you can create for yourself. You can create them in jurisdictions like Delaware, Nevada. New York doesn't have a domestic asset protection trust statute, but those uh, those are some of the states that do. And it will protect it from your creditors, And you can use all the provisions to protect your children so that when it passes to them, you include those, what we call the um, ironclad provisions that you want. Um, So the the thing is that there's an exception to the DAPT trust, that it's not uh, a bar to spouses, if spouses come after you for support, except if you were divorced, you create the trust before you married. So in other words, if you think you may get remarried one day, put your assets in ADAPT because you created it before the marriage, it will have all those supercharged provisions that will protect you because your spouse is not uh, going to be a permissible creditor. doesn't doesn't uh, is not part of that exception. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And so the question that comes up for me is prenup, postnup. We haven't talked about that yet. So what's the difference between what you just talked about and creating a prenup?
2: Well, the prenuptial would be an agreement that you create with the spat, with your future spouse, where you waive rights to each other's assets, and it can it can talk about uh, support and also uh, distribution settlements, right? Uh, and basically have the divorce, the divorce provisions pre-written in this prenuptial that could limit what type of, um, assets are available. Uh, but what if down the line, uh, you acquire other assets, right? Um, it doesn't relate to that unless they talk about other assets that may relate to that. Uh, but the trust would be something if you did that before you even were in, got married again, it's not, they're not going to have a claim to it. And those states have very strong creditor protection provisions.
0: And you said Delaware and Nevada?
2: Delaware, Nevada, Alaska, there's a number of them. Okay. Uh, and they're... The, that's where I would go if I was going to protect assets. And, and in fact, we see a lot of that happening.
1: But to be clear, you don't have to actually go to Delaware or Nevada. You don't have to live in Delaware <laughs> or Nevada to, to have trusts that are under that jurisdiction. And, you know, a more experienced estate planning attorney can help a, say, New York resident or other state resident create a trust under that other jurisdiction.
0: Okay. So you can make it happen no matter where you're living. Um, You just need the right trust and estate attorney that can
2: work with you on that. Right. And that's a perfect example where trust and estate attorneys from one state deal with trust and estate attorneys from another state.
0: So um, what haven't we touched on yet? I'm I'm finding myself a little bit lost for the question. So I'm just going to toss it at you.
1: One thing I want to point out, just as we were talking about the, the difference between the prenuptial agreement and domestic asset protection trust, and I think what what if I find the very base layer of the difference is creating a domestic, domestic asset protection trust before you get married, you're creating the trust, you're making the decisions, and you get all the best provisions you want a prenuptial agreement like a settlement agreement during during a matrimonial proceeding you have to compromise both sides are are have attorneys and it is in is a, an agreement between the parties and so the domestic asset protection trust it's almost like you get your wish list without having to talk to anybody else about it because the other person's not in the picture yet. You've created that trust prior to that marriage. And so I think that that's a a good difference to think about when you're trying, you know, we want people to plan early for a whole host of reasons, and this is just one more reason you should be planning early.
2: No, well put. And also, your prenuptial may refer to that trust and say, this is specifically not intended to be separate property and not subject to a marital settlement. Excellent. So, um,
0: so that's the prenup and, um, and the domestic asset protection trust, which is a mouthful.
2: What's next? Well, part of the trusted estates, uh, What you plan after the divorce is your own estate plan, and you can no longer rely upon the unlimited marital deduction. So, for instance, when you're married, you can leave a certain amount using your exemption to your heirs, and then the balance would go to the spouse and it would be tax-free. If it was a hundred million dollars, it would go tax-free to the spouse. Well, you no longer have that. So, when you die and you're single, you have your exemption and everything else is taxing, is taxed. So in that case, I think what you'll find is you'll be talking about things like charitable bequests, right, charitable remainder trusts, using uh, charitable uh, donations in order to reduce the estate taxes. And you may rely upon that more. In addition, there are lifetime gifts that you can give to your heirs tax-free, like the payment of educational costs, the payment of medical, the $15,000 per year, you may rely upon that more. You also may use other trusts like uh, we spoke about before, not for spouses, but for your children. For instance, a defective grantor trust, where you might be uh, putting assets into LLCs and then taking discounts for estate tax purposes and trying to save the estate tax. So they might be more planning now because you're not going to be able to rely upon that marital deduction. So, as a single. It has more of an urgency. So, as a,
0: so as a divorcee, as a single individual, your uh, exposure to taxes is higher. And so, the planning that you're talking about, the various trusts and charities and ways that you can both give to the world and save on taxes is a post-divorce key part of the work that you do with your clients.
2: Absolutely. And if you've been through a divorce, you know that it happens. You know how expensive it can be besides all the emotional toll. So you now have a real reason that when you create the Descendants Trust for your children... That you follow all the rules that you may not have followed <laughs> before when you were when we were talking about the third-party trust created by the parent. Well, you're the parent now, so you might give a trustee very broad discretion. You might include multiple siblings, your multiple children, as beneficiaries of one trust. You would have a detailed spendthrift provision that would exclude spouses as uh, For as creditors. You would choose an independent trustee. You might even require your beneficiary, your child's spouse, to waive marital rights each time that child is eligible to to receive distributions from the trust before a distribution could be made. And you might even prohibit the trustee to make distributions to any married beneficiary that does not have a prenuptial. So if we go back to those third-party trusts, what was the grantor's intent? If you follow those rules, it's pretty pretty firm that you intended that your child be protected from divorce. So we've come full circle now. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, and, and if you're the parent of a, of a divorcing child, so who created or who has, di- maybe you know mom or dad is in their 80s and their child is getting divorced, and maybe they want to make changes to their own estate planning, that's a good time to trigger them, uh, especially if the wealth is a wealth that is being passed down. It's a good time to have, you know, grandma, grandpa, that older generation, check their documents. Um, And I think that that is something that we don't often realize that assets are being left to the individual and that may change things, change things down the line. Yeah. Um, and I think, Nancy, it'd be helpful, too, if you could talk about what do you what do you do if, um, you know, there's a trust that's existing that was left behind. The older generation is deceased. Now the divorcing child is a beneficiary. What do you do if the terms aren't favorable? You know, what what can happen? Right, so one of those uh,
2: type of trusts would be one where it doesn't continue for the beneficiary for life, but maybe says uh, they get one third at 25, half at 30, and the balance at 35. Those are what typically that was the standard that people used. You would want to decant that, decant like you decant wine, into a new trust that keeps it in that beneficiary's trust for life and then passes on subject to the rule against perpetuities. So again, you would want to change those provisions to make them uh, more protected. And all the things I listed before, you could decant all of those and you create a whole new trust and pour all the assets into the new trust. Without making it subject to creditors, so you're really doing a new trust. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of ways of uh, avoiding problems, a lot of ways of being creative in protecting yourself, in certainly in knowing where you're vulnerable, and um, and in planning forward whatever mistakes you did encounter to um, to use that wisdom to do better as you uh, move forward after your divorce. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would love to, uh, wrap up with a question that, um, that I have right now, which is if I've just listened to this entire episode and feel like, wow, I really need to find myself a good trust in a state's attorney. What are some of the questions I want to ask? What are some of the things I want to think about as I go out and shop for a trust and estates attorney? How would you guys find, like how would you vet um, a good trust and estates attorney?
2: Well, I I loved Stacey Francis' answer. You asked her that about the financial advisor and I thought, man that is so true you start to ask them questions about how many other clients have you had that had assets in this category and what are some of the the pitfalls that you see and start to see how they respond because if they are hesitant And they say, oh, yeah, I've done a few of them. That's not the right attorney for you. You want someone who speaks this language, does not hesitate, and knows exactly what you're talking about. And that's a lot of times using your gut
1: feeling by the way in which they answer you. And I would also say that it's important um, because we talked in the beginning about having a team speak with your matrimonial attorney if that's the first attorney you've found and you feel confident because you should be vetting them the same way so if you've gotten to the matrimonial attorney and this is the person you like ask them who they have worked with and who and and same you can ask your financial advisor ask your accountant i mean having other professionals that you trust that you have a relationship with and knowing who they trust and who they work well with is going to really suit you. Because if your attorney for your matrimonial case and your estate planning attorney don't get along, or you know, are butting heads, or are don't have the same working style, you could really end up in a situation where you're suffering because of their, uh, you know, mismatch in personality. Even and so, you know, just like you would want to choose. The members, you know, of your kickball team when you're a kid. You want to choose the members of your team at this crucial time where, you know, you're, you feel like you're fighting for everything that you have and being, you know, you're probably balancing being fair, being protective of yourself, protecting your children. Maybe you feel like you're protecting the wealth your parents left you behind in these trusts and you know that's that's a big burden. You want to make sure that your team is is cohesive and can work together.
0: Yeah, well, so well said. And and you know we often make a lot of uh, referrals uh, with the clients that we work with. And what's wonderful is uh, we we always suggest uh, if you have team members that you trust, ask all of us and oftentimes the same name will come up more than once. And I would say, even then, don't ever interview just one. Even if you meet someone and you think, this person is like so perfect for me, at least have one more interview because you might find out that that person's even more perfect or it will solidify your initial thought. And so we never give out just re- one recommendation for a number of different reasons, but it's really helpful to do that. And the time invested, because that's, that's a big team and that's a lot of time. It, it will just, it will pay dividends in, in doing it right in the beginning and setting yourself up for that all-star team that, um, that has your back on every one of these complex, uh,
2: areas that you're going
0: to be negotiating.
1: So true.
2: I agree. And I think it brings the level of stress down. So you really can be more of the person you want to be going through this difficult time than feeling anxious because somehow you don't think that you're being represented properly. So having the right people, you can feel confident. I do think it makes you feel better. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And you'll be more, and if you're calm, you're going to be more effective um, partnering with all of these people. So as we begin to wrap up um, first, any last tips?
1: <laughs>
0: and that's okay. I would, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say just, um, know what you know know what you don't know and expect the same of your of your advisors um and we've talked about it through this and and i'd say that's just the most important thing um because that's really going to take you through um to the end and and a, 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 the best result
2: beautiful and i would say that your trust and estate attorney could be your matrimonial attorney's uh best weapon, and that valuing these interests are important in divorce as they are in estate planning. And we are, we regularly and routinely value these assets so it can be done.
0: Excellent. And if our listeners are local to New York, how can they find you?
1: So they can find us on our website at burnerlaw.com. Um, and also uh, you can contact us through the website. Um, we also have uh, webinars that we do on various topics. And um, we're very happy for people to reach out and ask us any questions that they want to ask.
0: And all of their contact information, both Nancy and Brits, are in the show notes. So you can just take a look and click Away. And if you have really found a lot of value in today's presentation, I highly recommend that you reach out and speak to Nancy and Britt and uh, and vet them for your team. And we wish you the very best of luck as you navigate uh, the choppy waters of divorce. And we will be back again next week with another episode. Stay tuned.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Karen.
0: group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck.
1: The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time.
0: Let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time. Book a free Lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking, being, and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce. Our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit
1: rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.